Drugs are bad. Yeah, that's a great start. Uh, Maybe that's the cold open. I have another good one. Mm, hit me. Hi, I'm Lauren, and I have worms. Mm, okay. Because we're talking about recycling. Oh, yeah. Okay. I I like that. Well, I mean, I... You like that I have worms? Do you want some worms? No. I would prefer you didn't share your worms. I'm going to ask you a question. What kind of worms do you think I have? I... That's a dangerous question. Um, They are red wigglers, and they like to eat my food waste. Not all of it, though. Mm. Well, is there a particular type? Mm, you know, it gets some gets some real randy. Yeah, give me give me a worm fact. Avocados. <laughs> Worms and I have more in common than I thought. Um. So this is Meet Cute, a show where we talk about all the places that art and science intersect. I'm Lauren, and I have a degree in chemical engineering. And I'm Lee, and I don't have a degree in chemical engineering. And today, we're going to be talking to you about recycling. I'd like to start talking about the collection. Yeah, go for it. So there's like different, I guess, streams of collection. There's a single stream collection, and there's multi-stream collection. I think most places are now are trending towards single stream, which is just basically anything that can be recycled is just thrown into one bin together and carted away. Whereas multi-stream, like, you have to do the work yourself, separate everything. And I did find something interesting. They said that there's a 30% increase in recycling in areas that switched from multi-stream to single-stream programs. So people are more likely to recycle and to recycle more when they don't have to separate it themselves. So you got one bin for your recycling, and it's perfect. So then they come and they collect it from your house, truck it away, usually to a separation facility, which can be an automated process, and a typical truckload can be sorted in less than an hour. Oh, wow. So from the time that the truckload is dumped into the facility to the time that it's all separated, less than an hour. Um, So once it gets there, it's spread out on a conveyor belt in a single layer, and cardboard and large... Um, pieces of paper, things like that, are separated out manually because the machinery downstream will jam if it's not. Mm -hmm. And then the remainder of the recycled material is sent through a series of, they call them disc screens, but I think they're basically like sieves Mm -hmm. to separate materials out by weight. So the heavier stuff falls to the bottom, the lighter stuff stays on top. Okay. That's still kind of all different types of materials at that point, right? right? Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's all the materials together, pretty much. And it separates out basically metals from plastics, I think, is the largest the largest separation that happens with the sieves. And then um, more cardboard is removed. And number one plastics, which are polyethylene terephthalate, or PET, number one plastics, and number two plastics, high-density polyethylene, are removed by hand. And I'm not sure how the operators of the system identify that it's the plastic without reading the little number on the on the plastic but i'm sure they're trained and they're very very keen with their eyes being able to tell number one and number two plastic from all the other numbered plastics right it's probably one of those things that like you get used to doing it and then you don't have to like like you know that like a bottle of soda is this and you probably get a good idea of what's what after you do it for a little bit right right 
But there's also technology out there and some of the more advanced facilities that use spectroscopy to separate papers and plastics from each other. Basically, it just shoots wavelength of light at them and the material absorbs a certain amount of that wavelength of light and reflects some of it back. And depending on what is reflected back, it determines what type of material it is, if it's paper or plastic. Oh, that's cool. Is that a process that's used at all anywhere else or is that just like... Um, Like spectroscopy in general? Yeah. Yeah, it's used for things, I guess, like... X-rays is a similar type of technology. When I did my internship in West Virginia, it was similar technology using CAT scans. So we knew that like the areas that were darker had absorbed more light. So we knew that they were denser areas within like the rock cores that we were studying. And the areas that bounced it back were less dense. Okay, so that's not a technology then that's unique to recycling. That's... No, no, no. It's a... Yeah, an adaptation, I guess, of, of the technology. And they use it in other applications, too. It's all about shooting light at things and having it bounce back. Pretty cool. That's neat. So then, after our plastics are separated, or I guess parallel to our plastics being separated, our metals are separated. And this is the one that I thought was really, really cool. So, obviously, our magnetic or ferrous metals can be separated out with a magnet. You just wave a big magnet over, things stick to it, and then... Ta-da, you're done. But if you have metals in with plastics or with other things, how do you separate out your non-magnetic metals, like soda cans, like aluminum? They do this thing where they take a magnetic eddy current, which I'm a little vague on. I remember learning about them in my last job because they had eddy current drives. It's probably similar to like water eddies. You know how that, that term, I think, is sometimes used for water. It's like... Right. So it's it's just an air current. It's just air moving or... But it's... No, because it's magnetic. Electricity. Okay. It's, it's like an electric magnetic current. Electromagnetic current. That makes sense. So the magnetic eddy current is produced within... Like inside of the cans by rotating a magnetic field around them. So you have this current inside of the cans and the current is repelled by a magnetic field. So you have a current that's been induced inside the cans, and you take a magnet, and it shoots the cans away from the oh. magnet. Oh. So how does that... So that o- that only affects metals, like aluminum and... Mm-hmm. Things that can conduct electricity, basically. That ma- yes, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so I thought that was really cool. They just, like, basically do it backwards and then shoot the cans out. And then our glasses sometimes sorted by hand or can be sorted by color by a color sensing machine. Okay. And then I didn't find much information on how they're refined, but I know that plastics and glass tend to be ground up and then remelted down into typically it's a lower grade than what you started with. So I guess a plastic number one would probably end up being a plastic number four or something. Mm Mm-hmm. And then cardboard and paper is ground up and moistened to make a new pulp. And then that pulp is produced into recycled paper or into newspaper. And plastics, I learned, this was interesting, I hadn't thought of this, but plastics can be chemically treated to turn them back into different polymers. Oh, so like what would that be? Polymer is a science word to me, a non-scientist. Polymers. Like I've heard it, but... Polymers are just long chains of hydrocarbons. Okay. So what does that translate to? In So you have plastics, you have your chemicals within your plastics, usually hydrocarbons, and you can incite a reaction within them that takes the molecules and links them together pretty much infinitely into these long strands of polymers that can be used for other things. Okay. And I think I read too that they can take certain plastics 
react them and turn them into fuel oil. Okay. Because it's all just, it's all hydrocarbons from crude oil, basically. So you can react it into oil. Right. Because that's, that's how plastic is made. I know that that's part of the plastic manufacturing process. Yes. That's one of the reasons that plastic is so bad. Yes. That's really, I mean, it makes sense that like once the actual process of sorting everything is done, the process of remanufacturing like it's the same as originally same as manufacturing yeah exactly yeah to my knowledge too though that's one of the problems with recycling that like the manufacturing process is still damaging to the environment and it still uses fossil fuels and things that are bad right to that point too that's where our waste management hierarchy comes in where it's I guess an upside down pyramid or a funnel. We're at the top. The best thing that you can do is to reduce the amount of waste that you have, reduce the amount of waste that's produced in a process or reuse. And then under that is a smaller wedge of the triangle, which is recycling and composting. So recycling the materials that you have or composting the materials that you have. And then the next wedge under that is energy recovery, which is something like burning trash to create energy from it in like an incineration process and then harnessing the energy that's created out of that incineration process and using it elsewhere. So using your trash as energy. And then the very bottom, the worst part of the triangle, treatment and disposal. So in the case of like wastewater... Just treating your wastewater and then dumping it out. Yeah, so just trash, basically. Just trash. Okay. I have some other uh, interesting facts and figures, if, if you are interested. I'm always interested in facts and figures. So in my research, I found a term called the recycling rate, which is kind of a measure of how well people are recycling. It's basically the weight of the recycled material that someone generates or a country generates divided by the weight of the trash that that person or country generates. So it gives a percentage of how much recycled material to trash that they have. Okay. So in 2013, Americans generate about 254 million tons of trash and recycled and composted about 87 million tons, which is equivalent to about a 34% recycling rate. Okay. I mean, how, how does that compare to like other developed countries? So in 2015, so two years later, the EU had a 45% recycling rate. So I think we're still a bit behind other developed countries, especially the EU, especially in Europe, where they're a little bit more waste-minded. And I think that comes from land constraints. So here, we don't really care. There's a landfill. No one lives near it, really. We have comparatively infinite land. And to your point about the recycling process and, I guess, re-refining, remanufacture of products, taking energy and material and things like that the energy information administration which is a part of the government um, and they run a lot of like energy facts energy figures they have reported that paper mills use 40 percent less energy when they make paper from recycled material than from virgin material oh really yeah and the epa cites that recycling aluminum can saves 95 percent of the original energy wow i mean that's pretty significant like that mm-hmm and I'm sure it's definitely different for things like paper and aluminum cans than it is for things like plastic that are really energy intensive to make in the first place and are probably still just as energy intensive to remanufacture. Mm -hmm. I guess the only other interesting thing that I learned about was it's called recycle bots. Ooh. Recycle bots are these open source hardware robots that you can make yourself that convert your waste or i guess plastic waste into filaments for 3d printers oh 
Isn't that cool? I mean, like in very specific contexts that will be useful. Like that's that's kind of a really niche thing, but like that's really neat. And they're open source, so like you can go in and make one yourself and then I don't know, buy a 3D printer. Right. I have this great grift idea mm-hmm. that you just you buy a 3D printer and then you use it to print other 3D printers. <laughs> go on. That's it. That's the whole idea. And this has been Lauren's Grift Corner. Oh my god, I love that. That's beautiful. You would have I mean you would not to extend Lauren's Grift Corner into the rest of the podcast, but um I feel like you would have to print each component individually and also like there's circuit boards in there. Yeah, there are some parts that you can't 3D okay. print. It's not a perfect grift yet. It's not perfect. Uh, the way I envision it is you start with one and then you 3D print yourself like five smaller ones. And then you have like a whole factory of them. Mm-hmm. And you just, you it's 3D printers all the way down. You just infinitely print smaller 3D printers. Smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's, you know, this is the future. We're taking investors now. Call the number flashing on your screen. Free shipping if you call the next 15 minutes. This is the perfect pyramid scheme. I don't think that you've created the perfect grift to create infinite 3D printers, but I think that you have created... So if I go out and I get two printers, and those printers go out and get each get two printers, and then, and then those printers go out and each get two printers. All right, we need to move on. Uh, do you have anything else you want to hit me with? My shoe. Well, in that case, I think I'll just jump in. Um, So I want to talk about Gary Anderson. Do you know who Gary Anderson is? Is he hot? I I would argue not really. Okay. But I only really saw one picture of him and there was another person in the photo and I really wasn't sure which one he was. (laughs) He needs to stop using multi-people in his Tinder profile. I know. He was an engineering student at USC in the early 70s, um, and he is the guy who designed the universal recycling symbol. (gasps) No, I was wondering. Yeah, um, he uh, basically he took like a single graphic design class and he just saw a poster on campus for a graphic design competition that was organized by the Container Corporation of America. So like he wasn't a graphic designer, but he just had taken a class and saw this poster and was like, I don't know, why not? Um, The CCA was a company that made corrugated cardboard boxes for companies like Procter & Gamble and General Electric. But their founder, Walter Pepka, was really into like graphic arts and design and so they were a huge patron of the arts and they actually have a collection that's in the smithsonian american art museum in washington dc let's go field trip um, pause the podcast we'll be back next week um but no they were really into graphic design and this wasn't super unusual for them they actually commissioned graphic designer herbert bear who was also one of the judges in the recycling symbol competition to make an atlas that they like gave to 150 universities for free so like i don't know kind of a cool company that's pretty cool so they they made this atlas that they gave away and uh it was apparently described in a review as the handsomest and best atlas ever published in america the handsomest and best. So ever. yeah, there there might have been handsomer atlases, but they were made elsewhere. 
But uh, yeah, so in 1970, they organized this competition. And the point of it was to design a graphic symbol that would be used specifically on recycled paper products. A graphic symbol. To be used... <laughs> A lewd and graphic symbol. Something real <laughs> sexy to spice up the recycling game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was that was their goal. No, they just they wanted a little picture to put on recycled paper products, and not even just their own, like anybody's, um, any company that was committed to recycling and committed to environmental sensitivity. They wanted to have a symbol so that they could show that off to the consumer and say, "Hey, like recycling is starting to be a big thing." This was the same year that they had the first Earth Day, and it was timed in part to coincide with that. So, like, this was the beginning of the like environmentally conscious movement and the thing that i really love about this is the winning symbol was from day one their plan was to give it over to the public domain that's awesome so like anybody can use this to denote their recycled products it's not a money-making venture on their part um i think that the winner of the competition got like two thousand dollars or something like that which that's a decent amount of money and he used it i guess to like travel the world and to study uh somewhere in somewhere in europe i want to say switzerland but i don't think that's right but he he said in an interview with the Financial Times that I did pay a dollar to read, by the way, so I'm already losing money on this venture. Oh my god. I know. He said that it only took him a day or two to come up with the design, so like he didn't really work that hard on it. Um, <laughs> but like I guess it was inspired in part by a design he'd already done, and like he kind of just fine-tuned it and submitted it, and um, he said that he found out by letter that he'd won, and he was 23 years old when he did this, uh, so he was pretty young, but he... He said, too, that he found out that the symbol had exploded the way that it did in an airport in Amsterdam. Like, he got off the plane and he saw a recycling bin with the symbol on it. And he was like, wait, I did that. I made that. And he, I guess he was kind of surprised by it. He didn't really go on to do any other graphic design work, but it's a really, really good symbol. It's a really strong visual image and it's instantly recognizable. And, like, the fact that it became what it did, I think is in credit too to the Container Corporation of America and to Walter Pepka for putting it into the public domain, you know, and making it this thing that you could use to denote recycled products. Um, And then I feel like it just evolved naturally into meaning recycling in any sense, you know, whether that's to denote a product that can be recycled, a product that's made of recycled material, or a place that you can put products to be recycled. It's a good little symbol. Do by chance, or have you seen any of the losing symbols i haven't um and i mean it's from it's the competition was in 1970 oh before cameras were invented yeah exactly so there's no no way to know um I don't know that they were saved. They might be in that collection in the Smithsonian. Oh, yeah. That's possible. I don't know. But, I mean, they were all sent in on paper and judged, probably still on paper, which is not without its own irony. (laughs) Wait, here's my question, though. So you're sitting at the judging competition, and someone hands you a piece of paper with this symbol on it. Mm -hmm. How do you know if it's a design to be judged or a piece of paper to be recycled? Yeah, I mean, that was probably really tough. I, I don't know. It was before the symbol was invented, so... Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a catch-22. Time warp. So that's really all I have on Gary. Um, He didn't, I mean, he didn't do any other graphic design stuff. Like, I, I was trying to look to see if, like, he had done anything else that would be, like, instantly recognizable, but he kind of just, it is job that he wanted to do, you know, and that he went to school for. From what I understand, he did some work as an architect, some work as an urban planner. He works, I think... 
or he worked, I don't know if he still does at the time of the interview with the Financial Times for a company that worked in like defense contracting and stuff. So like he, I don't know, like he just kind of did a bunch of stuff that wasn't at all related to design or recycling, except for that. That's really interesting. Yeah. And now it's everywhere. There it is on my bottle. There it is. Um, it's yeah, it's probably on this one too. This, I hope, um, God, I hope this is recyclable. This would be embarrassing. Wegmans, no. Wegmans, no. Um, Oh, there it is. My reusable Nalgene bottle is recyclable. It's plastic number seven, labeled other. That makes sense, though. I mean, it's plastic. Mine's plastic number one. Mine is, I can't really tell what mine is labeled. Oh, mine is labeled PET. P-E-T-E. Which one is that? It's one of the polyethylenes, right? It is an uh, an alternative abbreviation for PET, polyethylene terephthalate. It's plastic number one. So the numbers differentiate. Um, it mostly is the type of plastic that they are. Okay. I will read them to you. The seven plastic types include, number one, polyethylene terephthalate. Number two, high density polyethylene, HDPE. It's basically polyethylene in high def. Mm-hmm. 1080 polyethylene number three polyvinyl chloride or pvc just like those pipes oh i didn't know that i mean i feel like i knew that that stood for something but i did not know what it was i think that's why they're bad to burn because they have chlorine in their chemistry oh also because they're plastic you shouldn't burn plastic right yeah i mean that's another one okay next number four Low-density polyethylene, LDPE, which is basically polyethylene in low definition. Your mm-hmm. 280s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's 240, but... Sorry. Your 240s. Mm-hmm. Your 240 volts. Straight to the jugular. What number am I on? <laughs> I don't know. You just did the LDPE. I know. It doesn't... It tells me them in order, but it doesn't tell me the... Um, the number of them okay so the next one is polypropylene and then i think this is number six polystyrene which is commonly known as styrofoam styrofoam or just ps so that's that's the really bad one to throw away yeah and i think the seven types it's kind of like a hierarchy one and two plastics are i think are very commonly recycled you know it gets harder and harder to recycle them with the increasing number so fewer and fewer places do recycle them and then number seven is miscellaneous plastics which includes polycarbonate poly polylactide hmm. the one made of milk milk plastic milk plastic straight from the jugular it's <laughs> where milk comes from famously acrylic acrylonitrile butadiene styrene which i guess that's the non-polymer version of polystyrene it's the non-poly version the monogamous version of styrene <laughs> there it is oh here you know if i just scrolled down number one number two pet and hdpe recyclable both recyclable number three and number four pvc and low density polyethylene it says recyclable but call your recycler okay so it depends on municipality probably yes and then ppps and others like nylon and styrene it all says non-recyclable so it's just i mean it's plastic but it's trash so would they still have the recycling symbol on them because they're a type of plastic but they can't be recycled yes so i'm not sure why they have the symbol on them but it does give a list of examples so like grocery bags are number three 
polyvinyl chloride. And then it tells you what they're repurposed to make. So number one, plastics are repurposed to make textiles, carpets, life jackets, boat sails, sleeping bags, luggage, winter coats. That's a long list of things that, that are I, not plastic bottles. Yeah, I would not have thought that they would contain much recycled plastic. So number two plastics are made into plastic crates, lumber, and fencing from things like milk jugs, juice containers, grocery bags, trash bags, shampoo, and conditioner bottles. At the bottom of the list, it just says toys. <laughs> trash bags can be toys. That Well, they... I think it says on the box that they shouldn't be, but I don't know. I guess. Kids are so weak these days. I know. Not even allowed to smother themselves. God. Okay, number three plastics can be made into flooring and mobile home skirting. Number four plastics can be repurposed into garbage cans and lumber. Number five plastics can be repurposed into ice scrapers, rakes, and battery cables. Okay. I wouldn't think that, like, those things are that distinct, that they would need to all be made. Like, I would not put those things in a group at all. Like With, like, number one plastics, like, yeah, okay, like sleeping bags and winter coats. I can see the connection there. But, like, rakes can only be made of the same type of plastic. I mean, not probably not only, but, like, that's interesting. Number six plastics are insulation license plate frames. And rulers. <laughs> All right. And then number seven aren't recyclable. I mean, a lot of, I mean, that's why I'm confused by this list because it says the last three are not recyclable, but they can be repurposed into these uh, items. But number seven, it says plastic lumber. Do you have, did you have more? I do. Oh, yay. Yeah. I also want to talk about upcycling. Yes. Yeah. So upcycling is considered the opposite of downcycling which i mean yeah but downcycling is a term that came into the lexicon in 1994 apparently and it's basically a synonym for recycling so downcycling it's taking recyclable waste and putting it back through the manufacturing process it's the thing that we've been talking about for the whole show you know you remanufacture it you produce new goods it reduces the consumption of raw materials which uh you talked about a lot but When you think of a material like plastic, which we've been talking about a ton because it's one of the biggest things that we recycle. It's one of the things we recycle the most. And it's also one of the biggest problems that we continue to produce it and that we continue to use it as much as we do because even recycling it, it's damaging to the environment. Like you have to remanufacture it and that's still not ideal. So like recycling is kind of like the sexier, prettier way to say downcycling. Like it's it's just a PR decision to use that word. So I am to recycling as you are to downcycling that's what i'm getting from what you're saying yes exactly i was that's gonna be a takeaway that our listeners can really really understand and get behind listeners please write this down Mm -hmm. lauren is you have a pen and paper we'll give you a second to get some pen and paper take your time maybe take a break take a break go to the smithsonian museum and see that guy's stuff it's the Smithsonian American Art Museum. There's multiple Smithsonians. I know. I've been to some. Mm, wow. You're a primary source. I know it's not the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Yes. that It's got a different name. And it's not the Smithsonian American Museum. No, it's still got a different name. Those are the two I've been to. Oh, okay. And we're back. 
All right. Upcycling, it's the opposite of downcycling in that sense that like it's the process of transforming waste into new materials without subjecting them to environmentally harmful manufacturing processes. And also you can upcycle anything. So like it could be recyclable waste like aluminum or plastic or paper or it could also be what would be considered trash by like any municipality that's recycling things. It could just be garbage that's made of non-recyclable materials. So it's like a more universal thing too. Like you can you can upcycle anything that you use. And it it fits into our top wedge of our waste hierarchy under reusing. So it's better than recycling. Yes. And uh, the fact that you bring up reuse is interesting because one of the questions that I had when I was researching upcycling, I was like, well, okay, how is this a distinct thing from reuse? Is this just a different term for the same thing? But from what I can understand, it's um, if downcycling creates new products with less quality and integrity, upcycling is taking waste and turning it into something that is better than its original purpose. Like it's it's not just value add. Right. Yeah. Like it's not just taking an aluminum can and reusing it as an aluminum can or like a jelly jar and reusing it as a jelly jar. Like it's taking them and turning them into something that has new value. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in visual art, that's, you know, found objects like that's pretty cut and dry. But one of the things that I found uh, that I'm like absolutely obsessed with, there is a recycled orchestra in Paraguay. (gasps) No. It's the Recycled Orchestra of Catiora. It's a project that was started in 2007 that's, uh, from everything I can find, attributed to a guy named Fabio Chavez. He was also an engineer, actually, um, who went to work in Banyado Sur, a community in Paraguay that's built right near the Catiora landfill. So it's a community where like a lot of the residents already made their living recycling the trash that gets dumped there and reselling it. And the orchestra is mostly kids and adolescents who like it's a disadvantaged community like they're not going to have access to a violin or a cello um one of the uh, little documentary clips that i was watching one of the people was saying that like to buy a violin here it would cost as much as it would to buy a house um but it's all these kids and like young people playing musical instruments that were made as near as i can tell they were made by hand out of recycled materials that were found in the landfill <laughs> my favorite is the cello made out of an oil drum and it's if you you can look it up you can like if you look it up every single one of these instruments looks absolutely rad like they're all so badass like they look so cool you can look it up the videos of them like performing and practicing um there's a couple little documentary snippets on youtube and they sound really really good like they sound really phenomenal and i don't know i don't know if it's a thing that they've gotten better at doing like because i mean i haven't seen any video from way back in 2007 when they first started doing this um so like i don't know if it's a process that's improved over the past 12 years but yeah there's a full-length documentary uh called landfill harmonic which is the best title that's so good it's so it's so good it's so clever that came out in uh 2015 you can buy it on vimeo like it's um i'll probably link to their website when i put the episode up like it's yes, it's a really do. cool yeah like it's a really absurdly cool concept and i don't know if the guy who um started it um fabio chavez i don't know if he he was an engineer i don't know if he had any background in like making musical instruments or like if he knew how to do that before i mean it might have been other people in 
in the town had made instruments before, like out of other things. Like I don't I don't know what experience anybody had going into it, but like I don't like that's the most absurdly cool thing and it looks so good and they sound so good and it's like I don't know. It's really really insane. That's actually very 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 cool. I've heard of people like taking bike tires the inner tubes of bike tires and turning them into like satchels and stuff like that but never something like this that's incredible yeah and i i feel like too like upcycling kind of gets a bad rep as like a bougie thing to do right you know that like oh you know you you have this like coat rack that you made out of a piece of farm machinery and like it costs twelve hundred dollars right this is a very like practical use of upcycling that's still artistry you know it's not it's not out of necessity like it's out of a desire to create and to do something really good for a community i love it yeah i really do no it's really really good I don't know. I think there's so much value in considering the other two sides of the recycling triangle, reduce and reuse. Like recycling is a really, really good thing to do. And it's a really it's a thing that you can make a conscious effort to do. But like reducing. It's not the pinnacle of environmental consciousness. Right. Yeah, an individual environmental consciousness. Yes, like it's, yes, yes. It's a thing that you can do, and it's a really, it's a pretty easy thing to do in most places. Like if you live in a developed country, like if you live in a place where you know recycling is provided or it's included in your taxes, that's great. But I think that like starting on the purchasing end of it and like thinking as a consumer, like how do I bring in less plastic waste? Like how do I bring in less paper waste? And if I bring that in, how do I reuse that to try and lengthen its lifespan? And I don't know. I think that those two sides of it get a little bit less love than they should. So that's going to do it for us this week on Meet Cute. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us uh, for our inaugural episode on recycling. Um, We'd also like to say thank you to She's a Spy, a local band in Binghamton, New York, for writing our theme music. Uh, You can find them on Spotify by searching She's a Spy. They're also on Facebook, they're on Bandcamp, they're all over the place, and they're really great, and you should check them out. Jamming. You can find us online at meetcutest.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at meetcutest. Yeah, and if you enjoyed the time you spent with us today, you can subscribe on iTunes. We're hopefully going to be putting up new episodes every Tuesday going forward, and we would love for you to join us. How are we going to end this thing? Hmm. How about this? Drugs are bad. We already used that. I know. I figured we could recycle it. We'll be righteous back next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.